Good afternoon, Covenant Church. Uh, if you have your Bible, please turn to John chapter 15. We're going to look at the first 11 verses. John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. It's also printed on your bulletin, page number 7. If you're there, please stand for the reading of God's Word. This is the Word of God. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot fruit, bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your, your joy may be full. Amen. Please, please be seated. Right, let's pray. Jesus, we come to you today and we want to abide in you just as you abide in us. May your words abide in us. May we abide in your love. Please let the word of Christ dwell in us richly so that we may offer up a sacrifice of praise to God through Christ, the fruit of lips that acknowledge your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one of my favorite movie series is the Mission Impossible. You know, Tom Cruise, he plays the role of Ethan Hunt. He's an American secret agent who goes off and accomplishes seemingly impossible missions. Now, arguably, one of the most famous scenes from that movie series is the scene where Ethan Hunt receives his mission from his agency. You guys know which scene I'm talking about? The message is delivered to him in the form of a tape recorder. And Ethan Hunt plays the tape, and it begins with, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is, and it ends with, this message will self-destruct in five seconds. Now, I always wonder, though, what if Ethan Hunt doesn't get it the first time? Or worse, 
What if Ethan Hunt gets it wrong the first time? That would be really bad, right? I mean, we're talking about preventing a nuclear war. And if he, if he gets it wrong, then everything goes south. And more than anything, that would be an impossible mission to accomplish because you can't accomplish a mission that you don't understand correctly. Now, it seems like Jesus' disciples had that problem. They misunderstood their mission. Now, unlike Ethan Hunt, the disciples had plenty of opportunity to get it right, to gain a correct understanding of what their mission was. The message was repeated for thousands of years in the Holy Scriptures, from Adam all the way to Jesus. It was repeated multiple times. And it was written down in the Old Testament so they could go back and remind themselves of what their mission was. And the message did not self-destruct after it was first given to Adam. But God, in his grace, kept repeating the message about the mission of God's people. But above all, the disciples had Jesus himself, the Word made flesh. For three years, Jesus trained them and taught them what their mission was and what the kingdom of God was all about. But the disciples, they simply didn't get it. For a long time, they thought their mission was a political liberation from the Roman oppression. For a long time, they thought their mission was to deliver the Jewish nation from the hands of the Gentiles. For a long time, the disciples thought Jesus was their Tom Cruise, the messianic military king who would accomplish their version of the mission. So once again, in today's passage, Jesus repeats the message for them. But this time, with a critical piece of information about himself and about his relationship with us, his followers. Now, as part of our sermon series in the Gospel of John, uh, we are working our way through this section called the Farewell Discourse. That's from John chapter 13 to chapter 17. Now, so far in the Farewell Discourse, Jesus has been focusing on comforting his disciples and allaying their fears. So he has said things like, Let not your hearts be troubled. My peace I give to you. But then there comes a transition in John chapter 14, verse 31. Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. With that transition, Jesus now focuses on the disciples' post-Easter mission. And this image of the vine and the branches, it spearheads this section to teach us the fruit-bearing mission of the church. So with this larger context in our mind, Let's drill down on these three questions. First, what is our mission? Second, how can we be more effective in our mission? And third, what if I'm not part of the mission? Again, what is our mission? How can we be more effective in our mission? And what if I'm not part of the mission? But first, what is our mission? Now, as Presbyterians, we cherish the opening words of Westminster Shorter Catechism, 
Now, question one asks this question. What is the chief end of man? In other words, what is your mission? Why do you exist? What are you sent to do here? And it answers that question in this way. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, I think that's a pretty good mission statement. It comes right from the Bible itself. In the Old Testament, Isaiah says in chapter 43, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, that's great and profound, but, but, but let's get real here. How exactly do we glorify God? Now, what does it mean when we say our mission is to glorify God? How do we do that? Well, in verse 8 of today's passage, Jesus teaches us at least one way to bring God glory. Let's go to verse 8. Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So we glorify God by bearing much fruit. And Jesus also connects fruit-bearing with the fullness of our joy. In verse 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. Okay, so, so far, our mission statement sounds like this. Our mission, we exist to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever by bearing much fruit. Now, we can do better than that. We can take one more step to be more concrete, to be more specific. What is fruit? What are we exactly talking about? What are we bearing exactly when we say our mission is to bear much fruit? Well, the New Testament speaks of three kinds of fruit, and they form a composite picture, a fuller picture, to teach us what our mission is. First of all, the New Testament speaks of the fruit of lips, and by that it means worship. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Him, through Christ, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So one kind of fruit is worship. It's about praising God and acknowledging his name. The New Testament also speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. Now this is the famous one. And by that it means Christ's likeness. So in Galatians 5.22, Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So another kind of fruit is Christ-likeness. It's all about becoming more like Jesus and keeping in step with the Spirit. Lastly, the New Testament speaks of the fruit of the Gentiles. And by that, it's really talking about converts or conversion. So in Romans 1.13, the same Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, 
that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest. Now, the word harvest here is translated as fruit in John chapter 15, the same Greek word, carpus. So Paul is saying, in order that I may obtain some fruit among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So still another kind of fruit is conversion. It's about sharing the good news with unbelieving neighbors and evangelizing the lost. So there we have the fruit. So Covenant Church, what is our mission? Our mission is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever by bearing much fruit. The fruit of lips, the fruit of Christ-likeness, the fruit of the Gentiles, or the fruit of conversion. Now, before we move on to the next point, let me apply this to our lives. Let me apply this to my life. First of all, if this is true, if your mission is not something that you create for yourself, but if your mission is something that you receive from God through His Word, then you've got to give up your small ambitions. Let's be honest here. We all have our own versions of the mission, just like the disciples. You might give an intellectual assent or verbal consent to Westminster Shorter Catechism question and answer one. You might say, yes, that is true. I exist to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But let's be real. What is your functional mission? What do you really live for? Why do you wake up in the morning? What gets you really excited? Whatever that is, whatever your functional mission is, it pales in comparison to what God has in mind and what God has been doing in this world throughout history. So Covenant Church, embrace God's mission. Your mission is to bear much fruit and let go of your small ambitions. Second, if this is true, if our mission is to bear much fruit, worship, Christ-likeness, evangelism, then every single one of us here can participate in God's mission. It's not just for super saints. It's not just for spiritual elites. It's not just for Tom Cruise's of faith. But it's for every one of us. It's for all of us. An English teacher who works at his hagwon, he can bear fruit. An office worker working in a cubicle, 9 to 5, or 9 to 9, more like in Korea, she can bear fruit. A stay-at-home mom with little children, she can bear fruit too. And children, yes, I'm talking to you children, you can bear fruit too. And you can bear it more abundantly than rest of us. No matter where you are in your life stage, no matter where you are geographically, whether you're here in Korea or whether you're back in your home country, we can participate in God's mission. So Covenant Church, let's worship God through Christ and bear the fruit of lips. 
Let's help one another to become more like Jesus and bear the fruit of the Spirit. And let's share the good news of Christ with unbelieving co-workers and neighbors and bear the fruit of the Gentiles. By this, our Father is glorified and our joy becomes full. Okay, then how can we be more effective in our mission? How can we be more fruitful to the glory of God and to the joy of his people? Well, there's a lot here. John 15 is like a bottomless well. Now we can preach a sermon or two on every verse in John chapter 15. Now I'm not going to do that, so don't worry. But that does mean that I'm, I'm going to have to leave out a lot of good stuff from today's passage and just focus on one main thing. Actually, one main word. Can you guess which word it is? Abide. Abide. Let's go to verses 4 to 5. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, Jesus' metaphor here is straightforward. We don't really have to sweat over it, but let's imagine that this is a tree branch. Obviously, it's not connected to its stem. I guess it is connected to the podium, but let's imagine that here's a branch. I picked it up from the street. It's not connected to its stem. It's dry, it's dead, and it's lifeless. But if we were to go to the Han River Park right now, and find the branch that is attached to a living tree, we would find life. We would find uh, vitality. We will find leaves and maybe some fruit when the season is right. Why is that? Because that branch, unlike this branch I'm holding, is connected to the stem. It's drawing life from the stem. It's drawing moisture from it. It's drawing nutrition and nourishment and water from it. That's why it's alive and it's fruitful when the season is right. So likewise, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me. Remain in me. Stay with me. Live in me. And you will bear much fruit. So how do we do that exactly? What does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, there are two sides to it. Let's start with the negative side. Now, on the negative side, abiding in Christ means that we are nothing but a branch. It means realizing that we can't generate life on our own. It means realizing that all the things that are not Jesus and all the things that we're trying to draw life from are nothing but dead and dry trees. It means staring at our own insufficiency, 
staring at it long enough that we feel in our, in our bones. Abiding in Christ must begin here. We abide in Christ by repentance, by realizing that we are nothing but a branch and realizing that apart from Jesus, there is nothing in this world, not even our own selves, that can give us life and fruit. Now, the entire Old Testament is a one painful record of human insufficiency to save itself. Human insufficiency to fulfill its fruit-bearing mission. Just look at Adam. Let's start with the beginning. In Genesis 1.28, God commissions Adam and Eve and says, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. But just in two chapters, Adam rebels, uh, rebels against God. He basically tells God, God, you are not my vine. I'm going to be my own vine. And I'm going to go rogue. I'm not going to be on the mission that you gave me. But I'm going to be on a different mission. And what happens? In Genesis 3, we learn that the ground is cursed. Rather than bearing forth much fruit, now it bears forth thorns and thistles. Now, this same commission continued with Israel. But look what happened with Israel. Now, throughout the Old Testament, Israel was called God's vine, God's vineyard. But almost every time it is called a vine or a vineyard, it's in the context of God's judgment for its failure to produce any fruit. And I think Psalm 80 is a good example of that. So let's turn there. It's, we read that for scripture lesson. It's printed on your bulletin on page 5. Psalm 80, we're going to read from verse 8. You brought a vine out of Egypt. Now clearly the psalmist is talking about Israel and Exodus. You drove out the nations and planted it. Now he's talking about the canine conquest and the promised land. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Now, so far, so good. It looks like Israel's really doing well here. Unlike Adam, it's fulfilling its fruit-bearing mission. It's thriving, it's expanding, it's sending out branches, and it's filling the, the land and bearing fruit. But then this poem takes a tragic turn in verse 12. The poet cries out, Why then have you broken down its walls? So that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Just like Adam, Israel rebelled against God as well. Israel said, God, you are not our vine. We don't draw life from you. The golden calf is our vine. The Baal and Ashtaroth are my, our vine. Assyria 
and Egypt, our political allies, are our vine. And Israel turned back from God and now is withering away. Its walls are broken down, its fruit is plucked, and its field is ravaged by wild animals. Friends, you must see yourself in this story. Do you believe that this is your story before you met Jesus? We were withering away. We're like the branches without Jesus apart from the vine, withering away, ravished, our fruit is plucked, and the, the, the ground is cursed. Do you believe that apart from Christ, you cannot bear any fruit? Now, abiding in Christ must begin with repentance. But then, there is a positive side to it, and it's faith. On the positive side, abiding in Christ means realizing that Jesus is the true vine. It means realizing that he is the only source of life, only source of vitality, only source of nourishment. It means realizing that we constantly need him in every passing hour if we're going to bear any fruit in our Christian life. It means to pray the rest of the psalm that we read. Let's read from verse 14. The psalmist cries out again, Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. Go back to verse 17. Do you realize why Jesus says, I am the true vine? Jesus is called the true vine in John 15 because he is the man of my right hand. In verse 17 of Psalm 80, he is the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Adam failed as a vine. Israel failed as a vine. You and me, we failed as a vine. But Jesus fulfilled the fruit-bearing mission of God's people by becoming the true vine. Because Jesus bore the fruit that we should have borne, and because Jesus died on that cursed tree for us, when you believe in him, we are grafted back to the tree of life, to the true vine. So friends, that's what it means to abide in Jesus. Do you see Jesus as your true vine? Do you see him as your only source of life and salvation and vitality? Stare at your own insufficiency. Stare at your own inability and look at Jesus who is sufficient and who is 
able. That's how we bear fruit. Not by trying harder, even though there's a place for that. Not by faking it, and there is no place for that. But by looking at Jesus, who is the sufficient Savior, who is the true vine from whom we draw life. That's how we become better Christ worshiper. We look at Jesus and what he has done for us, and our heart wells up with praise and thanksgiving. We worship him. We bear the fruit of lips. That's how we become a better Christ follower. We look at the fruit that Jesus has borne, and there is a moral moral beauty, beauty to it. And we're drawn to his character and his attributes, and we long to be more like him and bear the fruit of the Spirit. And that's how we become a better Christ witness. We look at Jesus and how he bore the fruit for helpless humans, for helpless sinners, and how he bore the wrath and the curse on that tree. And we cannot contain this news because it's the best news ever. We want to go out there and tell the world about the true vine. That's how we become a better Christ witness. So abide in Christ and you will be effective in your mission. You will be fruitful for God's glory and for your joy. Now the third and the last question is this. What if I'm not part of the mission? What if I don't see any fruit in my life? As we close this, let me address two groups of people. First of all, some of you here might have discovered for the first time that you've never abided in Christ like the way that we're talking about. Maybe for the first time, you've realized that you have treated yourself as the vine. You've rejected that you are a branch and you live your life as if you generate your own life. And maybe you're tired. Maybe you're weary. Maybe you're exhausted. Or maybe some of you here may have discovered by now that there is another vine that is not Jesus. And you're trying to draw life from this dead stem. And of course you don't feel life. Of course you don't feel any energy because that stem is dead. That vine is dead as well. Maybe you're like Nicodemus, trying to look for life in a religious institution. You think that will save you. That is your true vine. Maybe you're like the woman at the well. Maybe you think a romantic relationship is the true vine and you're trying to draw life from it. Maybe you're like the crowds in the field. You want the bread. Maybe you think material possession and financial security will give you life and energy that you're looking for. Maybe you're like the disciples. You think a political cause is the true vine. And who is going to be the next president is where you get the most excitement and energy from. I will tell you, they are not true vine if they're not Jesus. They're not true vine. So if that describes you today, whether you are the person who thinks you yourself is divine or 
you're the person who, who thinks there's some other vine out there that's not Jesus, I want to invite you to abide in Christ. You will find life in Him. You will find vitality in Him. You will find nourishment in Him. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. Trust Him and rely on Him and you will find life in Christ. Second, some of you here, including myself, are Christians. And you are discouraged. Now, all this talk about mission, all this talk about fruit, you just feel so small. You look around in the church, and there are, there are people in this church who are very fruitful. And you look at your own life, and that's it? That's all I can produce? You look back on your own life, maybe the past week, and you're disappointed in yourself. Maybe you're discouraged about how fruitful you are or lack thereof. Maybe you feel like a failure. Maybe you even wonder, am I even a Christian? If I'm a Christian, why, why don't I see any fruit in my life? Brothers and sisters, if that is you, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. There are seasons in the Christian life, and this might be winter season for you. During the winter, you look at branches on the tree. What do you see? You see nothing. There are no leaves. There are no fruit. They look dead and lifeless. But are they really dead? No, they're not. How do we know that? Because they are connected to the stem. Because they, are, they stay connected to the vine. As long as they remain in the stem, the winter will go away and the spring will come and there will be flowers. The summer will come and there will be leaves. The fall will come and there will be fruit. It takes a long time. It can take a long time for you and for, for, for me. So don't be discouraged. But in the meantime, please stay connected to the vine. Abide in Christ and remain in him. I know you don't feel like to do that. I know what that feels like. I've, 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 I've been there. I know you don't even feel anything when you try to abide in Christ. But please, keep abiding. Keep remaining in Christ. Remain in his words. Remain in prayer. Remain in fellowship. And the spring will come and you will bear fruit in due season. And it's because Jesus is abiding in you no matter what season it is. I'm always struck by today's passage. Jesus says, abide in me. Now, I am like you. I hear that it's a command, it's an imperative. I latch on it. Okay, that's what I need to do. I need to abide in Christ. I need to abide in him harder. But sometimes we forget what he says next. He says, abide in me and I in you. It's not your fruit producing and fruit bearing that keeps you attached in Jesus. It's Jesus' love and his faithfulness that keeps you attached to him. I mean, just look at the disciples in the upper room. 
right when Jesus was talking about uh, this. Just look at the disciples. James and John, they quarreled in front of Jesus. Philip questioned Jesus. Peter later betrays Jesus. All the disciples except John run away from Jesus. Where is fruit in that? Where is life in that? But none of them fell away like Judas did, especially Peter didn't fall away like Judas did because Jesus held on to them, because Jesus abided in them, because Jesus remained in them until the very last moment of his life on the cross. That's why you don't have to be encouraged. You can be assured that even if you're going through a long and bleak season of winter, a season of fruitlessness, you can be assured that he who began a good work in you will bring to it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So don't be discouraged. Rather, hold on to Jesus. He is keeping you from falling. And let's get to work together as the church and bear much fruit. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the one who is holding fast us, that you are the one who is holding on to us, that you are the one who is abiding in us. Even when we are faithless, you are faithful, and that's where we find courage. That's where we find life. That's where we find strength to live another day, to get through another hour, to keep at it, to continue to be on mission for you. So, Father, please make this truth vivid and real to us this coming week. And may you be glorified and may our joy be full as we bear fruit for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.